Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2019-20 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On today's show, we will recap the wins over USF and UCF. We'll also get you ready for a big matchup Saturday at Tulsa. To help us preview the Golden Hurricane, we'll be joined by Kelly Hines, who covers the team for the Tulsa World. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor, we were off last week, and so we missed the shocker two-game losing streak at Temple and home against Houston. But I saw this on Twitter. This is not my original thought. But these games this past week with the win over South Florida and then the win over UCF at home at Coke Arena, it was kind of like getting over the flu. So those first couple days after you're sick, you're maybe not feeling 100%, but you're starting to see things move, starting to th- see things head back in the right direction. And hopefully, after this win at, over UCF, now we see them finally getting back right. Not that they weren't healthy, but getting back in that mindset that led to such success early in the season. Yeah, I think it, there were small steps in the right direction. I think you just want you just want to win. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how pretty, how ugly it is uh, to stay in this conference race, to stay in this you know uh, NCAA tournament uh, berth that they've set themselves in. You just need to win, and uh, you know at the end of the season, it, it doesn't really matter how it looks. It it just matters that that you win, and you know they got the job done on the road at U- USF. wasn't very pretty. Uh, second half, you saw a little, some flashes, and then, you know, the most important thing in that UCF game was just the offense to get back going. You know, they, they failed to crack 56 points three games in a row. That was the first time that had happened since Marshall's second year at WSU, so it had been a really, really long time since WSU had gone through those kind of offensive problems. So to score 87, uh, that was refreshing to see. Uh, yes, they, they made it more of an interesting game than it should have been against UCF. It felt like they probably should have won by about 20, but, you know, you look up and UCF was, you know, they were within four with uh, like 30 seconds left. So uh, it was just a win uh, that they, they really needed. And now we've we've got quite the showdown coming up this week against Tulsa. Another positive that came out of these last few games is the play of Dexter Dennis. He scores in double figures down in Tampa in the win over USF, then scores 16 of his 18 points in the second half along with 11 rebounds for a double-double against UCF. So what have you seen from his game, particularly in the UCF game, that might think that we got his arrow pointing back in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, his confidence is going up, and you can just tell by the three balls. You know, he's had four in the last two games, so eight total. And, you know, he's he's looking like the Dexter Dennis of last season when, when he kind of peaked during that 14-4 uh, and four close to the season. And the biggest difference, the one that, that Marshall was so excited about or the most excited about after that game was uh, the out-of-bounds play that happened less than two minutes left in the game. 
the the first half, Dennis had missed a couple bunnies. He had, I think it was three uh, three attacks to the the rim, and he didn't really go aggressively. He didn't, you know, just go in there looking to take somebody's head off. And got to bite the rim. Got to bite the rim. That's what Marshall said, and uh, he missed all three of those attempts. And Marshall got on him at halftime and in, in media timeouts, and it kind of planted that seed, like, hey, you got to go in there and try to put your arm through the rim. And uh, that's a, that's what he did in that, that out-of-bounds play with less than two minutes left, got the ball on the baseline, took two dribbles, and just, you know, planted and went up. And, you know, no one was going to block that shot. He went up, you know, so powerful and, you know, two hands, just throws it through the rim. And that was the most uh, aggression I think I've seen him do, uh, throw it down with in transit or like uh, in traffic, I guess. Uh, you know, no one went up to really contest it, but there was, you know, there were hands in that area. There were defenders in that area. So that might be the most impressive, you know, dunk that he's had in terms of the way that Marshall wants him to, to do. So that's that's kind of the growth that Marshall and the coaches are wanting to see from him. That's, uh, you know, that's the last evolution uh, before he becomes, you know, this NBA prospect that everybody thinks he can be is, you know, you got to show that you can put the ball on the ground and create for yourself and go up and, and you know, make uh, tremendous dunks like that because that's what NBA guys do. And on that play, Dexter Dennis looked like an NBA guy. We're going to see Tulsa play a lot of zone in the game this Saturday. And in the next segment, we'll talk with Kelly Hines of the Tulsa World. And we'll also preview the big matchup on Saturday. But give us a thought. The Shockers seem to be spreading the ball more on offense and and passing, whereas those two games against Temple and Houston, the ball seemed to get a little stagnant. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the the movement improved. And uh, I I wrote a bunch about after those two losses where WSU's offense was just at a standstill. And, you know, they're so stagnant. And. You know, they just weren't moving on the ball, off the ball. You know, nothing was crisp. And, uh, you know, the USF, it was a a step in the right direction. I thought they had better movement. And then uh, the UCF game at home, though, I thought that was, you know, the best they've looked on offense in a long time. You know, you saw, uh, you know, players moving with a purpose, setting screens, you know, coming off of screens, really setting themselves up for success. And, you know, 87 points. That's the most they've scored in, uh, I guess, since the the UConn double overtime game. But uh, in regulation, that's the most they've scored in, uh, since like early December, I think it was. So um, it was good to see if you're a WSU fan to see the offense start to you know move like that. And you know they still didn't shoot a great percentage. I think they were 40% for that game. So you know if you can move that closer to the mid 40s. And, uh, yeah, you're going to see that offense that was apparent early in the season and, you know, combine that with the defense. And then WSU's back in that, you know, discussion for, you know, what's the peak of this team. We'd like to see them combine the USF game and the UCF game together. In the USF game, the name of the game was defense. They held the Bulls to only one basket in the final 13 and a half minutes. They only shot two of 15 from three, and their 43 points was the lowest by a Shocker Conference opponent since 2015. In the Wichita State UCF game, we had five Shockers scoring double figures. Rebounding was so key. They had Taco Fall last year. This year, Wichita State's plus 17 in rebounds, plus 16 in second chance points. So So, um, you know, certainly UCF had a lot of fast break points, and that was something that kind of kept them in the game. But overall, this was just one of those, once again, survive in advance, and that's what you got to do here in this middle of this conference season. Yeah, that's kind of the thing that gets overlooked a little is, yeah, just how lights out WSU's defense was in that USF game. And 
Um, yes, you know, South Florida, they have their own issues. They're not, you know, a, a dynamic offensive team by any stretch. But still, I mean, to hold a team to 43 points to, I think they, they pitched a shutout for like, it was like a seven or eight minute stretch where they just went scoreless. And uh, that's where WSU went on that, that crucial 11-0 run to kind of pull away in that game. And, uh, and then, like you said, against UCF at home, uh, the, the rebounding, that was the biggest thing. You know, they had gotten away from that dominant rebounding team that they, they had been and in the first, I think, five or six conference games, they'd been out-rebounded. So to dominate the rebounding battle like that was good to see. 36 of 39 possible uh, defensive rebounds. And you mentioned the second chance points. I believe that UCF did not have any, or they had three. So uh, to limit them to just three second chance points, that just shows you how good WSU's defense was on that that first initial you know wave of defense. They didn't, they weren't giving up second and third chances, and um, so that that's exactly what they they need to get back to is becoming that dominant rebounding team they once were. The Shockers had their most free throws of the year against UCF. They had 42. They only made 29 of them for 69%. If you look at their percentage on the year, 69.1%. So, you know, I, I think I asked you this last show, actually, but when will we see one way or the other movement on this free throw issue, or is it just what it is? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just been up and down all all season. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of looking at that. And, you know, some games it's really come back and, and cost them and, uh, you know, there's leaving Look at points. that Temple game. I mean, yeah. if they make their free throws in the Temple game, that's a completely different look, particularly yeah. in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're just leaving points on the table. And, uh, you know, you're seeing struggles from all all over the, you know, the roster now. And I think that's it is becoming a concern now because it's not just, you know, one or two players. It's not just, you know, Mo Udeze or, you know, the centers. I mean, it's, it's guards. It's Jamarius Burton. You know, I know Sherfield missed a couple. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it is kind of a concern, and, you know, you know that they work on it. You know, they, they can't leave practice until they make 12 free throws in a row. So, uh, you know, these are these are Division One athletes. You know, they're going to put in the time, and it just comes down to, you know, just that mental being able to lock in and, and you know, repeat that kind of, you know, you know they practice so much, uh, the, the, the form and the stroke and the feel. So just repeating that in a game, that's the – uh, just locking in, being able to do that—that's the—that's the challenge, and um, you know, it, it's hard to say. Is this going to continue? Is it, I mean, they've shown the ability to be a good free throw shooting team. They've had games this season where they've made you know 80 plus percent. So uh, you know, the, the possibility is there. I think it's just going to be kind of up and down all season. That's just going to how how it's going to be. Eric Stevenson is still the leading scorer on this team, but has uh, been in a little bit of a rut here for a couple weeks now. Is it because teams are keying on him more? Is it because we're in conference play and more folks are familiar with the Shocker sets? Or what exactly are you seeing from Stevenson in his game? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you I think he got up to like 15 points per game. And, you know, when WSU was 15-1 and one and, you know, he was coming off that, that uh, UConn game where, he played pretty well and had 16 points and helped him to win. You know, anytime you're the best player, you know, the best scorer on a team that's, you know, 16th in the country, 15-1, and one, you know, you're going to get a lot of attention. And teams are going to spend a lot of, uh, you know, time and, and pay attention to details and try to take away things that you like to do. And I think it's just a matter of that, that they're just, you know, really, really locked in to Stevenson and they don't want to let him get going. And, you know, all these guys, you know, even Jamarius Burton, I mean, he's kind of been up and down as well since that fast start. And, you know, teams are really paying attention to how to defend those guys and taking away those little things that they like to do. And 
um, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, these guys have to adapt and adjust and, you know, find a way to bounce back now. You know, last year they were the third and fourth options on the floor. Now they're the first and second option. So uh, it's a different level of defense. Uh, even if they have that experience from last year, you know, this is still new for them. So they're, they're just having to go through those kind of learning learning pains. And uh, like you said, I mean, conference teams, they just scout more thoroughly. So um, I think they're just going up against, you know, better attention to detail now. You wrote a little bit on Kansas.com. It did seem like the Shockers were getting a abnormally large number of shots blocked. So maybe for the folks who didn't see that coverage, give us a little bit idea of what you saw from the film and also from the stats. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at you just break it down on how many shots WSU is getting blocked. Uh, you know, they're dead last in the conference and conference games. They're dead last. You know, overall. Uh, they rank, let's see, they are 326th now in the country in getting shots blocked. And uh, you look at the conference play and, you know, on a shot-by-shot uh, -shot basis, you know, they're getting shots blocked more than if that rate was for the whole season, they would be dead last in the country. So, yes, they're getting a ton of shots blocked at the rim. And uh, I went back and watched every single one of them, and a lot of them are at the rim, a couple of them are, you know, jump jump shots, uh, pull-up jumpers, you know, threes that are getting deflected. But a large majority of them are, you know, just attempts going toward the rim. And I think that's just in, the inexperience of uh, the guards. You know, all these guys are freshmen or sophomores. And kind of like what I was just saying, that even the sophomores that do have experience, you know, they have experience being the third, fourth, fifth options. They're not used to, you know, having the the other team's best defender on them if you're a guy like JB or Eric Stevenson. So I think they're getting, they're just having to adjust to that, that different caliber of defense. And a lot of these temps, you know, they're just putting their heads down and, and they're just determined to, to go to the rim. And, you know, you just have to be a little more aware of, you know, where the shot blockers are, where the help defense is. And, uh, you know, just, you have to get used to that. And I think a part of it, too, is just, you know, the more you play basketball, the more you, you know, finish at the rim, you kind of learn those those savvy tricks of the veterans of, you know, how to use your body, how to use your off arm where you don't get a foul call and how to use the rim even to, to help protect your shot. So little tricks like that, I think they're just going to pick up over time. And, you know, they're getting plenty of repetitions right now. You know, they're getting more playing time than, than most freshmen and sophomores would. So I think that's something that they will, you know, gradually learn. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it is something that, that they have to pay, you know, attention to. And I think you saw that that progression in the UCF game. I saw a lot of uh, times where JB or Sherfield would drive and instead of just forcing up and uh, a wild shot, they, they jump stopped and then looked to dish off. So I think you're starting to see that progression uh, happen because I'm sure coaches are, are showing them those, those block shots. I think a lot can be made about the schedule as well. They were traveling a lot, going out to UConn, going to Tampa, coming back for games here, whereas now you get a week off before you play Tulsa. Cincinnati will be at home in Wichita, and then the game at Houston. So the travel, even though these games are a lot tougher, travel does get a little easier for you. Shockers are back in the top 25 this week, currently number 23 in the AP Top 25 poll, ranked 40th in Kinpom. And let's talk about these next three games. You got the game Saturday at Tulsa, currently tied for first in the conference. You got Cincy coming to your house next week. They are right in line with you, but just one tonight over SMU, so they're now 6-2 and two in the conference. And then you got at Houston, once again tied for first in the conference. So will these next three games decide whether the Shockers are able to compete for a conference title or not? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's these are the, the top three teams in the conference right now. We kind of found that out. Uh, Cincinnati's playing very, very well right now, uh, evidenced by tonight. I mean, they just grinded out a 20-point win over SMU, held a very, very good offensive team to 43 points. So they're playing lights out, and that's the one you only you get at home. Now you have to go on the road to the two teams tied for first. So, yeah, I mean, Wichita State, if it's going to win a conference title, you probably have to win two of these three games. If you come away with two losses, you know, that's going to be really, really tough to, to come back from. There's still a lot of time left. Uh, so, And I think the American is so crazy that, you know, maybe four or five losses uh, ends up winning or, or sharing a, a conference title. So they're not, they wouldn't be completely out of it. But this three-game stretch is definitely going to set, set the table you know, if they come out with two or even three wins, you know, Wichita State, they, they could be back in that driver's seat uh, here in, in two or three weeks. Net ranking has slipped a little bit with the two losses. It's at 30. They're currently a seven seed in ESPN's latest bracketology. Let's not look at the conference title for a second. Let's just look at making the NCAA tournament. After the game against Cincinnati, we're at the halfway point. They'll have played nine conference games, but let's just take the next 11. What you know record do you think over the next 11 games they would need to safely be in the NCAA tournament? Uh, to safely, I mean, you probably are looking at. Uh, I mean, it also depends on like you who got they, the conference tournament after that as well. Who, so it's who they just... lose to? You know, if they if they lose to you know Cincinnati or or Houston, um, you know those aren't those losses aren't going to hurt you. You know, Memphis on the road that's another Q1 game. So uh, it just depends on who they lose to. But I think you know six. If you end up with like six losses, you probably are still getting in. Um, just depending if if they're, they're all good losses, I think with WSU's non-con, uh, you know it's it's starting to shift to you know it was great at the at the starter conference play. Now it's kind of just you know slightly good, maybe just uh, maybe above average. You know a lot of the teams that WSU beat uh, really haven't really uh, you know lived up to expectations, and a lot of them are headed in the wrong direction. So uh, and even Memphis, you know that that's uh, the you know the win that you kind of hang your hat on and you know WSU suddenly you know I think WSU's only played one Q1 game and they lost to, to West Virginia so uh, yeah I mean I think it kind of at the end of the day you don't want to to fall into that bubble and let that become you know an issue I think if they if they just rack up the wins and you know finish with you know mid-20s uh, somewhere in there I think they should be on the right side of the bubble but you know, things could get interesting if, you know, they take some losses and, you know, you finish with uh, maybe like a, uh, I don't know, like a 12-6 and 6 conference record or 11-7 and 7 record. Then things start to get a little dicey. It is interesting, the win over UCF, their 17th of the season. They've already tied their regular season win total from last year, and we're just here at the end of January. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get you ready for Saturday's big matchup at Tulsa. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Coon and Eldridge. We'll move now into our preview of Saturday's matchup at Tulsa. And joining us now, friend of the program, Tulsa beat writer for the Tulsa World, Kelly Hines. Kelly, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. 
We appreciate you taking the time. Tulsa has certainly been the surprise of the league here early in conference play. Picked 10th in the AAC preseason poll. First question, you know, has the team used that as motivation so far this year? And what do you think has been the biggest reason for their success in the first seven games of conference play? Yeah, I think that they, they've used it as motivation. I think that they, um, not so much that they were picked 10th, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about them at all, you know, other than locally, you know, there wasn't much attention um, paid to Tulsa basketball. So I, I think that that's always going to be some motivation. And, you know, I, I think that it's just been a, a matter of um, some of the newcomers, um, you know, panning out. You just never know how that's going to go, but, um you know, certainly uh, Brandon Rochelle has been um, a difference maker, and I, I don't know that they would be in the position they're in right now if it weren't for him joining the team as a JUCO transfer. He started his career at LSU, and, um, you know, he's the guy who can do just about anything um, because of his size, he has versatility with um, position, what position he plays on the court, and he's um, picked up the defense really well and um, just a super competitive guy. So I think that's been a probably the biggest difference with his team in, in terms of um, last year to this year. Yeah, and you look at the success they've had in conference, and, you know, the thing that stands out to to me is the, just the defense and the way they've been able to grind people down. You know, they hold Memphis to 40 points. And what what stands out to you? I mean, why is this defense, you know, it was just, you know, average, if not below average last year. So what what's the biggest difference in your mind with – you know, how did Tulsa go from that to, you know, being the, the conference's best defense now? I think it's they're doing what they're supposed to be doing on defense. You know, I, I don't think that they've changed too much, like, philosophy-wise. Um, you know, Frank Cape House's matchup zone, that can be tricky for teams, um, you know, just because it's it's a tricky sort of defense. And I, I think in the past there have been um, defensive breakdowns because guys weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And I think that, you know, they've, they've worked really hard on um, guys understanding their roles in that defense. And, um, you know, I, I think that's been the biggest difference. Um, it's, and when that defense is run correctly, it's, you know, pretty successful. You're forcing tough shots. Sometimes, you know, teams can make those shots. Um, and then, you know, you, you don't look like you're playing good defense. But I think they've, you know, especially since they got to conference play, they've really um, turned a corner with that defensively. And then, you know, um, they, they're a fast team, they're athletic, and, and so that's where they can um, run the floor and, and turn defense to offense because, you know, just not a, a super consistent, um, good shooting team. So they, they need things to start on the defensive end. And, and when they're playing well, when they're winning games, is typically how it's been. There's really two outliers here in conference play. We've already talked about one, the big 40-point win over Memphis, but the other one would be the 31-point loss at Cincinnati. So what went wrong in that game that uh, maybe led to that one being lopsided against the Bearcats? You know, not making a three-pointer, you know, that that kind of hurts you when you, uh, I think um, Cincinnati had 30 points off three-pointers and Tulsa had zero. So, I mean, that's a 30-point difference right there. Um, you know, you can kind of chalk that up just to being a really bad shooting night, but um, it also just kind of got out of hand the last 10 or 12 minutes. You know, it was certainly a game that was within reach, um, you know, midway through the second half, um, a game that they could have come back and, you know, at least been competitive in, but it definitely took a different direction. And, and Cincinnati, you know, just having seen what they did to SMU, um, I, I don't think that, um, you know, that game necessarily was the Tulsa team that, 
you know, is what they are now. But I, I think if you are going to say that, then you, you cancel out at some point the, the Memphis win. You know, that's just kind of how college basketball has been this season, just kind of weird outcomes um, that you can't always explain, I guess. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the the emergence of Brandon Rochelle. And, you know, this is a guy who I know WSU took a look at and a lot of teams in the conference did. I mean, he was a big-time scorer, and he's definitely – lived up to the hype for Tulsa and kind of changed their just the, the dynamic of their, their offense. But who are some of these other guys that have, have taken a leap? I know Martin Zimbognu, he's coming off a huge monster game. Jariah Horn was a really good player for him last year. So who are some of the – is it just a collective leap from a lot of different guys? Or, you know, who, who are the main players uh, this year for Tulsa? Those those two that you mentioned along with Brandon, the, you know, those are the, the three – uh, primary scorers, you know, Martins did not play well at all to start the season. Really, had gotten in his head too much about, you know, there were expectations there. They needed him to be the guy in his senior year, and and it, it really got to him. But you know, now you're starting to see him get back to, you know, some of what he was last season. When I mean, he was just his his field goal percentage. I don't remember what it was in conference play, but it, it was in the upper 60s. You know, it was extremely consistent. Um, he has his moves. He stays within his game, usually on offense. He doesn't try to do anything crazy. You know, that's what they need from him. They need him to be this presence in the post and just stick to what you're good at, you know, and, and he's been doing that the last few games. So um, I, I think that's, um, you know, they were starting to win some games without him doing that. And now that he's, you know, getting back to form, you start to see this be a, a more complete team. Um and Jariah Horn for sure is a big part of that. You know, his his scoring is, um, you know, he's definitely been more versatile this season. You know, he he used to be kind of viewed as that guy who just, you know, would catch and shoot and he'd make about 35, 40% of his threes and, and was a, a good, you know, scorer um, for Tulsa. But now you're seeing him make shots for himself and, um, just he's doing things that I, I honestly did not see him um, being that type of player um, at this point in his career. He's been extremely impressive these last few weeks. So those those three guys, you know, they're counting on for scoring. They have they have some other um, like they're they got a couple guards who are, are pretty fast and have um, really come along pretty well. Um, you know, Elijah Joyner is is the point guard this year um, after Sterling Taplin graduated, and he has. Um, he's really developed his game. Um, he's not a guy who scores a lot, but he makes really smart decisions. And Darian Jackson is um, another guard who, um, you know, he started shooting three pointers um, just a few games ago. And that's been a, a very unforeseen development. Um, and he's kind of known as the the best defender on the team. And so for him to do anything uh, beyond that is kind of like a bonus. So um, those are the, you know, they've got, they don't go super deep, you know, they have, um, that's pretty much their rotation. They also have Chris, I say Chris Hill, Isaiah Hill coming off the bench um, as a backup point guard. But um, those are their their um, key guys. But Martin Zigbanu isn't even starting now. They have Manny Ugo, who's a seven-footer, who starts like the first few minutes of the game. And um, he's, you know, you talk about Martin's being a presence. A seven-foot guy is a presence. Um, and he's, he's able to give Martin's, um, you know, a little bit of time to, uh, let the game come to him. So um, that's been a little bit of a different thing that's happened lately. 
our producer and I were talking before the game, and we mentioned that this might be the most meaningful Wichita State-Tulsa matchup, you know, maybe since the Valley days of the early 80s, and certainly since Wichita State joined the American Conference. You have the Shockers coming in, ranked 23 in the country. You have Tulsa currently tied for first in the conference with Houston. So what type of atmosphere are you expecting on Saturday? And do you get a sense from the players and, and from Coach Haith that they believe that, you know, they're in this for the long run here in this conference race? Well, you know, I, I know that I'm expecting this to be the, you know, the best attended home game of the season. That's not saying a whole lot. Tulsa's really struggled with attendance. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a small school and, you know, when, when things haven't necessarily been really great, uh, you know, when you haven't had as many NCAA tournament appearances lately and that sort of thing, that's when fans kind of drop off and it's hard to get them to come back. But, um, you know, they had a lot of ticket specials and that sort of thing for this game. And, um, you know, the, I, I saw on the seating map earlier, they have a lot of sections that are sold out. That's, that's you know, pretty unusual the last few years. So I expect that it will be, um, you know, a better crowd than, than what um, I've seen the last uh, few seasons. I don't think it'll be a sellout, but you never know. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, – the way that Tulsa's been playing, you know, especially at home um, these last few weeks, um, I think that that's um, there's just a lot of excitement around the program that hasn't been there, and, and certainly the players, um, the staff, they, they feel that too. So um, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, one of my coworkers thinks it's, it's the biggest uh, home game for Tulsa basketball in more than 15 years. So I, I haven't been around that long to really say, but uh, that's what people around here are thinking. Yeah, and uh, if uh, Tulsa's going to win this game, uh, hold hold serve at home, what has to happen in your mind? What are the keys of the game for, for Tulsa to come out on top? Um, I would I would say it'd have to be another um, performance for, for Martin Zigbanu like he's had um, the, the last couple ones, you know, to, to have, um, have some dominance inside to where, you know, Tulsa doesn't have to rely on a lot of threes, a lot of jump shots that, you know, they may or may not make. You know, I, I think they need to have some – something they can count on inside um, and, you know, just to, to stick with um, what they've been doing on defense, you know, holding teams below their averages, you know, that's, that's what they've been doing. That's been kind of their recipe for success. So I, I think those are, are probably the two main things. Well, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. It'll be an exciting game on Saturday. Game tips at 5 p.m. Central and will be broadcast on ESPNU. For our listeners, you can read Kelly's work at TulsaWorld.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Kelly Hines TW. Thanks, Kelly. No problem. Anytime. Taylor will move now into our own preview of Saturday's matchup with the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. They are 14-6 on the year and 6-1 and in the AAC. Much like Wichita State, they will not play a game this week. They did play on Sunday, so one less day of rest. But as far as uh, how they come in in this game, is pretty hot. They've won five straight. Only AAC loss was at Cincinnati, which we talked with Kelly about. They'll also visit Wichita for the last game of the AAC regular season on March 8th. You've already mentioned this, but a big key to their game has been defense so far. Yeah, and you look at just uh, what their what the the recipe to success has been, and it has been defense. Uh, you look on Ken Palm at uh, the numbers, and they have the number one rated defense, and it's not even close. And you know they're they're holding teams to very very low percentages. Uh, you know they're not sending them to the foul line, which is uh, huge. They're they're doing a decent job keeping them off the glass and. 
forcing a good amount of turnovers. And, you know, when you do all four, those are the four factors. So when you do all four of them above average, you know, you're going to have a really good defense. And uh, some of it does have to do with, you know, a little bit of a luck. You know, they give up a ton of three-pointers. So, you know, they play that that kind of uh, funky matchup zone. So they're going to give up a lot of open looks. And it just is going to come down to, you know, are you hitting that night? And so far this season, you know, teams have not hit against Tulsa. You know, they're only shooting 23% on three-pointers against them. So a little bit of luck involved there. But, you know, you have to give Tulsa credit. You know, they're, they're forcing outside shots and, you know, that's, uh, you know, when you rebound the way they do, uh, you keep teams from the, the glass and limit the second and third chances, you know, you're going to have a good defense. So, yeah, for Wichita State, it's just going to come down to, I think a lot of it's just going to come to, you know, you got to make shots and, you know, they're going to have to be aggressive against the zone and, and have some kind of presence inside. Um, just don't go stray away from it altogether. But at the end of the day, you know, Tyson Etienne, Eric Stevenson, Dexter Dennis, you know, those guys are going to have to make shots. As far as offense for Tulsa, they shoot at 45.3% from the field and 31.8% from three. They score 71.3 points per game and allow 64.3, averaging 13.3 turnovers with 7.8 steals. Their current Ken Palm rank is 69. And this game to me, you know, you mentioned the outside shooters, but also a guy like Trey Wade. I feel like if he can get into some of the pockets and, and get some easy buckets, he might be someone that can have some success in this game. Yeah, and, uh, you know, on stickbacks, you know, offensive rebounds, stuff like that. And like you said, just finding those gaps. And I think uh, he's going to be at the, you know, trying to find those gaps at the top of the zone inside the arc. So he might get a few assists from, you know, collapsing the defense and looking to kick out or or collapsing the defense and throwing it up to, to Jaime Echenique at the rim. So, yeah, he could be an important guy. And um, I think Echenique, he's going to be important too. I think WSU – even if they, they do play zone, I think they're still going to try to establish him in the post. And, you know, they're going to have to, you know, he's going to have to work quick because, you know, people are going to be diving down on him. But I think that if they can post him up quick and there's some sets that they, they love to run where they, they screen and, uh, you know, free people up uh, for open catches and, and easy baskets, I think WSU is going to make a concerted effort to, to get, you know, Echenique involved and make sure that it's not just all, you know, you don't want to be just a jump shooting team. You, you do want to have, uh, you know, some... Uh, you you want to establish yourself near the basket, and guys are going to have to you know drive in there and look to dish or or finish. And uh, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about you know WSU getting a ton of shots blocked. You know that decision making is going to have to be better because you know Tulsa they make you they make you make those split second decisions, and you know WSU's just got to be better at those. Producer Brian, I'd, I'd invite you to maybe join the conversation in here as well. You know, we I already mentioned it with Kelly, but is this the most important Wichita State-Tulsa game that we've seen since the early 80s? I, I would definitely have to agree with that, at least since, you know, you had Nolan and Gene going at it back in the 80s. I, I can't think of a time where it's actually mattered in a conference race like this before. Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree, and I'm actually going to be working on a story about that. I haven't done my my deep dive yet but uh that's kind of the gist that i'm getting is that a game a conference game between wichita state and tulsa has not mattered to this degree since like uh, like you were saying uh since the 80s so um you know and who could have saw this coming before the season too i think both teams have kind of surprised with uh, how well they're doing tulsa more so just because like kelly said you know they were picked 10th 
and uh, just to be in this conversation is a huge deal for Tulsa and you know no one really saw this coming they didn't it's not like they had a great non-conference uh, slate so you know they looked very average they looked like a 10th place team coming out of non-conference so to come out of nowhere and to be playing this well a uh, huge surprise and yeah Wichita State they're gonna have their hands full and uh, I'm looking forward to just the atmosphere. I mean, you think back two years ago, you know, it was like Coke Arena South. Uh, I know a ton of Wichita State fans traveled down to that game, and I expect a ton will be there. Uh, be there this one weekend. of the only Saturday road games in conference all year. Yeah, and but the difference now is there's going to be a ton of Tulsa fans now. I mean, I think people are getting really, really excited, and I think it does help having a week off and kind of you know building the hype and. You know, there's no distractions before this game, so I think that's going to help it too. And I'm looking forward to to a sold out a sold out arena and a great atmosphere down there this weekend. You know, and really, if we look at the AAC as a whole, I think you have a lot of good teams, but maybe not a great team. When we look at common opponents, Tulsa beat Oral Roberts by seven, Wichita State beat Oral Roberts by nine. Tulsa beat Houston, Wichita State lost to Houston. Both of them have overtime wins over UConn. So, I mean, this should be a very evenly matched game. What do you think it ultimately comes down to? Yeah, I mean, it's just whichever offense can get going more. I mean, I think uh, this is a battle to... Two of the best defenses in conference. I think uh, the numbers say that Tulsa has the best defense, but I think Wichita State, they've proven over the body, uh, you know, over the course of the season that they have, you know, if not the best, then one of the best defenses just because of the way they, they're able to defend and, and rebound for the most part and, and force turnovers. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a battle of, you know, which offense can, can get going. Uh, a battle I, I'm looking forward to seeing is who WSU puts on Brandon Rochelle. I mean, this is their their top guy, their their big time wing scorer. You know, is this uh you know Dexter Dennis has been playing really really well lately. Is this the Dexter Dennis you know uh, the comeback you know the 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 vintage game where he shuts down the the other team's star player then has a good you know uh, the opportunities are going to be there for him to make threes so he could have a big two way game. Uh, if he can't handle them, you know, who do they put on him? Is it JB? You know, is it Eric Stevenson? Is it Trey Wade? So that's going to be interesting to see. Then uh, the, the battle inside, you know, Echenique versus uh, Martin Zabognu. I mean, uh, like uh, Kelly said, he's coming off a, a big, big-time game. And, you know, Jaime has been playing very, very uh, well in conference play. So those are maybe the two best centers, you know, in conference if you're not counting Precious Achua as a, as a center. So um, that's going to be fun to watch. And, yeah, I think this is just going to be a grind it out, you know, come down to the last possession. And it just seems like uh, one of those games where, you know, it's just going to uh, come down to who can make a play on offense down the stretch. We got some flack after our last show because we only allowed you to make a prediction and, you know, old old DK didn't make a prediction. But we'll start with you. Go ahead. What do you got? Man, I think I, I have a feeling that Wichita State's going to get the job done here. Um, I'm very, very impressed by Tulsa, though. I think they've, you know, they've already overachieved. Um, but I think this is a game where WSU, they're starting to get back to that shocker basketball. And like I said, I think this one comes down to the last stretch, kind of like what we saw two years ago. I remember that that uh, crazy game where they uh, they had that last second three point attempt that, that could have tied it, that forced overtime, that missed. I think we see another repeat of that one. I'm going to go WSU 67 64. 
I think the Shockers win by six points or more. I don't know how hot of a take it is, but here's my reasoning behind it. I think Greg Marshall, you know, he's he's the mad scientist. He's been watching film, working with these guys in practice all week. And Tulsa is in the position that Wichita State was in a couple weeks ago when they were ranked 16th in the country. They started to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit, kind of start to believe in themselves. I think both teams will know this is a big rivalry game, but I'm going to go with the Shockers. I'll say 75-69. Buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right, so we're going to go with a little around the AAC flavor to start things off, and we're going to turn our attention to Memphis. So they are now find themselves at 3-3 three and three in conference play. Uh, they we, We've talked about them getting absolutely shellacked by Tulsa, but then they turned around and lost at home to SMU, and they have just dropped out of the top 25. So my buy or sell to you is Memphis misses the NCAA tournament. Oh man, that's that's tough. I'm going to sell that. I think Memphis has too much talent. I think uh, eventually they'll figure it out, but man, it is not headed in the right direction. I'll sell it as well, although I'll say their only win right now is over Tennessee, which doesn't look that, you know, fantastic either. And so uh, they're really going to have to turn it on here. Uh, later in the season, if they're going to make that happen. Well, they're kind of they're kind of similar to Wichita State, where you know if this if that happened to Wichita State and things kind of go south, you know they're going to be faced with the same problem because, you know, who's WSU's best one right now? I mean, that's that's kind of the that wasn't the question, Taylor. But <laughs> no. I'll also say WSU is six and three in Q one and Q two uh, games, I believe. So I don't know what what Memphis. Is. I think one thing if we're going to turn turn our direction to Wichita State that helps them out is when you look at the other teams on the bubble well there's Oklahoma and they're projected in there's VCU and currently they're projected in certainly they're both on the bubble but if you're starting to compare Wichita State to bubble teams well they've beaten a number of them already and so I think that that helps make that case whereas you know as far as teams expected to make the tournament I don't know how many Memphis has I'd have to go back and look at their schedule but I don't think it's much yeah, and, you know, VCU, OU, Oklahoma State, you know, WSU needs teams like that. I mean, those those guys are on the bubble, and they need them to start winning. And, um, you know, right now a lot of those are falling in Q2. If they can get one or two of those to, to move up to Q1, that would be huge. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's the reality of it right now. Is uh, I mean, that's why w, you look at Kempom, you know, that's all why they're all the way down to 40. And, uh, you know, some people – you know, don't have them on that AP top 25 ballot is because, you know, the advanced uh, metrics, they don't, you know, they don't love WSU, but I think the 17-3 and record, I think that kind of is definitely helping their case right now. We've talked some about how young this team is. Do you attribute the offensive inconsistency? We're seeing Jamarius Burton have really up and down games offensively. We're seeing Stevenson now as the center of attention as an offensive player kind of struggling a little bit in the last couple of weeks. You know, we've already seen Dexter Dennis up and down. Currently he's up. And then all the freshmen that you've you've added to the mix. So buy or sell, the inconsistency in offensive production is primarily due to the collective youth of the team. As the team were to be more experienced, we'd expect them to perform much more efficiently, even when things aren't going well. 
I'll buy that. Uh, I'll also say it's a grind. They've played 20 games. We've talked about the travel. Most of them are 18 and 19-year-olds. You know, that's a lot to go into, to go into hostile environments. And once they got that number next to their uh, school on the little scoreboard there, you start to get more attention when you have a top 25 opponent coming in. So that Temple loss was tough. You know, Houston, I I think, is going to, you know, obviously compete for the conference title. And now the Shockers will have their work cut out for them here in a couple weeks going down there. But, you know, you can't have many more of those Temple games where you're just, you know, just don't have it that night. Yeah, and I'm going to buy that as well. And I wrote a lot about that with just the inexperience with, you know, finishing at the rim. And that's just stuff that you have to learn over time. And I think that's a a lot of the reason why some of these guys are being held back right now is because, you know, they're not finishing uh, like, you know, you should at the rim. And, you know, when you can't get those high percentage looks to fall, I mean, that's going to hurt your shooting percentages. And, yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just hard to it's hard to keep things in perspective because this team, you know, they got off to such a good start. You know, they got up to 16th in the country, 15 and one. And, you know, it's so hard to remember that, you know, before the season, you know, a lot of people would have been happy coming out of non-conference with, you know, three losses and uh, just being in the conversation for NCAA tournament. And now, you know, they're 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 on the right side of the bubble. You know, they're they're pretty much in by by everyone's account. So. Uh, I think it's just hard to keep in perspective just how young these guys are. You know, they're freshmen, sophomores, and, uh, you know, they have so much, you know, they're learning so much right now. And, um, you know, it just shows, you know, how bright WSU's future is that they're already performing at this high a level uh, for, to be so young. But, you know, the, the ups and downs, the in- inconsistencies, yeah, that's that's going to be the youth. And that's just, you know, who, who WSU WSU is they can't change anything about it so that's just something that you know fans are gonna have to to accept about this team is that it's not gonna be you know steady as she goes you know super consistent over uh, the course of a 35 game season and I think that that comes back to some of what Marshall said the team is already really pretty good it's the question of how fast can they grow to get to that next step All right, so we're going to turn our attention to Tulsa. Big game. They've started out 6-1 in the conference to find themselves tied with Houston. But some of those games, road games, that they've got victories over Tulane and East Carolina, their home wins certainly over Memphis and Houston look really good, but they haven't had to go on the road and be challenged a whole lot. UConn has certainly struggled in conference play. And then when they went to Cincinnati, they got, you know, just – blasted in the end of the second half of that game so my buy or sell question for you is before seeing this stretch before seeing Wichita State play against Tulsa do you believe Tulsa is a true contender for the conference title I'm gonna absolutely buy that and I actually did some research on this and looked at remaining schedules and Tulsa has by far the easiest schedule remaining of if you look at WSU Houston uh, Tulsa you know SMU Cincinnati teams like that those are the kind of the, the five that I, I considered as true contenders and now you know SMU might not be in that that group but you know of that top four you know Tulsa you know you look at the remaining schedule they play WSU twice they play at Houston and they play SMU at home and that's it against the top four so even if they lose you know they could get swept by Wichita State and they could still win the conference championship just because of the schedule and the way it sets up because they play, you know, I think they play those top four teams. They play uh, two of them only once. So that's a huge advantage for Tulsa. And just looking at the schedule, I think, 
you could lose this one and you can lose the the season ending one at Wichita State and I still think that Tulsa could you know theoretically if they take care of their business I think they could you know win the conference just because of uh, you know the strength of schedule I'm going to sell it, and maybe next week I'll buy it. But for now, I'm just not a believer just yet. They had to go to overtime to beat UConn. I realize Wichita State did as well. But, you know, we've talked all year about how the bottom part of this conference will eat the middle or, or knock off some of these top people. We already saw it happen with Wichita State at Temple. So I, I just think the, they're not quite, you know, consistent enough to be able to challenge. I think it's Houston. I think it's Cincinnati. I think it's Wichita State. And I think Memphis maybe sneaks back in there. You bring up a, a really interesting point, Taylor, about how the schedule shapes up for, for Tulsa the rest of the way. So a little bonus here. Could Tulsa actually win the American Athletic Conference and be considered not worthy of an at-large bid? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the their non-conference, you know, they have – a couple bad losses, you know, Arkansas State at home at UT Arlington. I mean, Colorado those, State at home. Yeah, I mean, those are uh, just not great losses. So um, I think it is possible. I mean, obviously they would get the, the uh, you not know. if they didn't win the tournament, though. Yeah, I, I'm saying well, like right, they would. Right, if they won the regular season, would they still have to win the conference tournament to make the NCAA yeah, I w- Is I was, that a possibility? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they're going to get consideration just because they won conference in in the regular season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there is a, a real possibility. It just it comes down again to uh, who the who the wins, who the losses come to. You know, if like I said, if they don't beat Wichita State twice and they, they lose to Houston uh, on the road and they win it with four losses, uh, but you you don't have very many solid wins. Yeah, I think there's there's a real uh, conversation where they might get left out. But I think the bubble is so soft this year that if they they end the season, you know, 14 and four like that, I think they're gonna uh, get in. But I think that is you know a real concern for them just because of the the lack of non-conference wins they have. All right, and finally we we I know we're a college basketball podcast, but this week the the passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter in the helicopter accident in L.A. County, and I I know we've already talked about. There's been some stories written. Taylor, you wrote one about how much he's meant to this Wichita State team. You see this generation of college basketball players. They grew up, you know, idolizing Kobe Bryant and modeling their games after him and watching his every move. And so uh, a little bit of a two-parter here, but first, you know, buy or sell, do you feel like um, this moment and, and time is going to motivate these players or at least create a measurable impact on the way these these young players approach the rest of the season? And, and finally, what do you think uh, Kobe Bryant's lasting impact on the game of basketball is going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for some of these guys, uh, you know, he was the – their you know their version of Michael Jordan and you know in today's generation you're seeing it I mean some of these guys are so young where they they maybe didn't get to see Kobe like at his peak and you know they're LeBron guys and I would say most of the WSU guys right now are are the LeBron generation but you know uh, a special exception would be Tyson Etienne that's the guy I wrote the story on and you know he was so obsessed with Kobe Bryant and you know he watched you know so many YouTube clips and just you know studied all of his moves and that was uh, you know in the story he said that was that's my superhero I mean that's that's the guy that was larger than life uh, you know he said he felt like a, a part of him you know is missing now because uh, Kobe's not around and you know it was just so 
uh, stunning and tragic. And, you know, the, for me, you know, that was, that was the guy when I was growing up. I mean, that was, you know, I remember Michael Jordan, but, you know, Kobe was when I was older and could kind of remember more of the games. And, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, that was, it felt so personal because it felt like, I mean, that was, I mean, you feel like guys like that are just invincible and that, you know, they, you know, they live to be, you know, a hundred years old and, and, you know, especially with the, all the stuff that Kobe was doing away from basketball and, you know, just the, the way he was being a, you know, a father to his daughter and, you know, really promoting women's basketball and all the creative stuff that he was doing off the court. I was just, you know, he was really interesting guy to, to follow after his career. And I was, you know, so impressed with, I mean, all the different stuff that all the stuff he had his hands in. And yeah, I mean, I think the the impact he's, he's had, you know, it's, it's not going away anytime soon and you know he's he's gonna be remembered you know legends never die and you know I think just the way you're seeing you know how NBA players right now are you know they're taking the 24 second violations the eight second violations you know they're they're some people are moving uh giving up the the number eight and 24 and some people are wearing eight and 24 to to honor his legacy so yeah I mean I think he's just had a, a larger than life impact and you know, with guys like Etienne, you know, Grant Sherfield's family, huge Lakers fans, huge Kobe guys. So, uh, Morris Udeze, you know, he switched to number 24 this year in honor of Kobe because that's, that was his guy. So, uh, you know, there there are some Kobe connections to Wichita State, and, you know, that's going to be true for every college basketball team just because, you know, he was such a incredible figure and, you know, on top of the basketball world for so long. So, um, yeah, I think that that impact's gonna you know last a lifetime, way longer than you know this generation is gonna go down as you know as you know one of the best basketball players of all time. That was really well said, Taylor. Um, you know, first of all, I would just you know once again reiterate how tragic of an accident it was, and even here on Tuesday night, you still want to say like you know I hope it isn't true, or you know how how did this happen, or when do you wake up from this dream? The fact that you know not only his daughter but other uh, folks were uh, you know on that flight as well, so so terribly sad. Um, you know, we've heard a lot of people talk about these last few days about the Mamba mentality and just you know being such a fierce competitor and wanting to outwork your opponents uh, so much, even outwork the folks on your same team. I hope some of the shocker players are able to develop that. I think a lot of that play angry mantra is, 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 you know, developed out of that same attitude there. But I found it interesting after he ended his 20 year career, all 20 with the Lakers, it was like that competitor switch flipped off a little bit. You saw more of the family man. You saw the investor. You saw he won an Oscar for uh, his short film. So, so, so many, uh, you know, impacts that he had on people that are fans of basketball, but also so many impacts on on folks just around the world. So uh, certainly a, a sad and tragic event. And anything that you know, whether Wichita State or anyone can do to you know honor his legacy is is going to be a good thing. You talk about bonus buyer sales like we had. I have a question for both of you. What's the best game that Wichita State's played this season so far? The best game, in your opinion, they've played twenty of them. They have played twenty of them. And the reason I bring that up, you know, we've seen games like UCF when the offense looks really good. 
We've seen games like USF where offense did not look very good, particularly in the first half, but the defense really carried the weight. We've seen games where we've seen Eric Stevenson do really well, Dexter Dennis do really well, but in my opinion, we haven't seen that one where it's all clicked. And the reason I bring it up, think about that NIT run that they had last year. You know, this team had its warts last year that we talked about, uh, you know, a lot of different times. It certainly was very young, just like they are now. But it seemed like later in the season, something just clicked and they went on that run and and really, you know, hopefully have not stopped outside of the the two losses that they've had here uh, recently. So in, in your opinion, what's the best game so far this year? I'm torn between two of them. Uh, I think the VCU game, just because collectively as a unit they played defense so well and they did such a good job of taking care of the ball, especially the young guards in a situation where a team really just wants to jump and trap you a whole lot. I thought they did an excellent job of of handling those situations. And then the other game that stands out, you know, a little bit to me is Ole Miss because I felt like that game was never in doubt. Yeah, really they great really, coaching. They really controlled it. And, you know, I, I would say that the the backup coach behind the bench, our own Dustin fantastic. Kuhn, did a, did a fantastic job of scouting that. And, uh, and and helping them out there. I think another, I mean, those are two great picks. Another one that comes to mind would be the, the Oklahoma State road game. You know, at that point, you know, Oklahoma State was, you know, 7-1, and one, I think, and uh, they were playing really well. And uh, I know they didn't have their best guy, but still, you know, to for WSU to go in there and to win comfortably and uh, play the kind of defense that they did, that was, uh, you know, against a really, really good defensive team. I think that was impressive at the time. So, um, I think those, yeah, those are probably the top three games, and uh, Memphis game is probably in there too. And uh, I mean, obviously, that's not the, you know, they didn't uh, finish them the way they wanted to, but you know, that that first opening stretch, the first half, where they really played some really impressive basketball. But I think Greg Marshall would say, you know, this is a good thing though, is that they haven't played that that one, you know, crisp game. They're still in search of that that perfect forty minutes, and you know, obviously, no team's gonna to play the the is going to play the perfect 40 but you know they haven't had I don't think they've come close so you know I think that's a good sign for this team and it's still you know scraping that that ceiling and they're still you know fighting to get there. It, there's a very popular book that Coach Marshall has referenced in the past and a lot of people in the business world uh, reference, and that's From Good to Great. And that's how do you take something that's good and, and push it the, that next little bit further and, and become great. And it, it's all about getting the right people on your team, having a shared vision, having a common goal, and, and moving the boat forward. And so you've got 11 games left in the regular season. you got hopefully three games down in Fort Worth at the AAC tournament. So 14 games to get that you know ship headed in the right direction and that's really the biggest key probably for the rest of the year is when do we see that breakthrough where you know both sides are working in concert together and and everything just kind of clicks yeah I mean I don't think there's been a stretch this year where Dexter I mean the three main sophomores Dexter JB Eric Stevenson when is I don't think there's been a game where all three of them have played uh, very well like above average so I think that's the game that you're waiting for. And then, you know, with Echenique, he's been so consistent. And, you know, the freshmen, I mean, both of those guys have, you know, they have the potential to go off for 20 any given night. So, you know, if you get, you know, four or five of those guys going, you know, I think Wichita State, they could be a very, very dangerous team. Well, it's a testament to their depth because not all the guys have to be on every single night for them to be able to win. But you'd like to see maybe a little bit more consistency, like you said, from three to five of those guys. Here's another doozy for you. If you're Coach Marshall and you're drawing up the last shot, who are you drawing it up for right now? Man, 
right now? Well, I mean, Dexter Dennis has been the uh, has been the sharp uh, sharp shooter, but I think if you're go if you're going at the end of the game, man, they've they've really struggled, uh, you know, creating separation and getting their own shot. I'm almost tempted to just post. Go ahead with my guy Tyson. Oh, uh, dang! I'm I almost, thought you wanted Tyson. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to post uh, Echenique up and just be like, "Hey, go get us, go get us a basket, or go I, get a foul." I will say this: most of the time, because Marshall doesn't call a lot of timeouts, he's just motioning guys and and let one go, guy go make a play at the end of halftime. But I think if the game's on the line, Marshall's calling timeout. He's setting up a play just like he set up a play for. Uh, Dexter Dennis at the end of the two-lane game, something where somebody can just catch and shoot or get some motion. And I think in those situations, he's going to be able to orchestrate something where a guy's going to pop open and get a shot. And I think in that situation right now, I would go for Etienne or Dexter Dennis. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you're asking who do you try, if you don't have a timeout, you have to put the ball in someone's hands and say, go, go and make a play. I think, you know, the pecking order would probably be Sherfield is probably the best at, you know, creating space. Uh, but, you know, that's, you know, I don't know if he's proven to to be a shot maker uh, like uh, Jamarius Burton has. But, you know, sometimes JB kind of cre- uh, f- struggles to create separation. You know, he's got a lot of his shots blocked, too. And, you know, Eric Stevenson hasn't been great in ISO either. So, um, you know, there's not an ideal pick right now. But I think Sherfield can be that guy because, you know, uh, I think he's the the one that can create that separation off the off his jump shot, and you know he's not getting as many shots blocked, you know, jumper jumpers wise. So, um, but yeah, I think if he has a timeout, Marshall's going to call up and try to you know dial some something up, a quick header where they can get a a look off of a, a set piece rather than going ISO because I don't think WSU is a, a great team when it comes to that. We'll look forward to the game on Saturday at Tulsa. Hopefully lots of Shocker fans will be making the trek south to support the boys down at Coke Arena South. There's another big event going on this weekend as well. What was it? Oh, that's right, the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. I'll be reporting live from Miami, but we'll be back with you next week. We'll get you ready for a big home matchup with Cincinnati. And, hey, now we roll. It's almost February which means, you know, March is right around the corner. We got about, you know, five, six weeks here. We got 11 conference games to play and the AAC tournament down there. We're, we're going to have a good time covering it for you here. And uh, as always, greatest five stars.